It's a beast, though. I know, it is a beast. (laughs) (laughs) That's Tokoroa farmer George Moss, and we're with his wife Sharon in a paddock full of pregnant cows. He's not talking about one of his beasts in this paddock, but something much more daunting. It's cutting greenhouse gases. And surprisingly, the biggest challenge isn't just getting the emissions number down. Sharon and I could actually deliver any reduction that is asked of us. The challenge is is at what cost, both directly and indirectly. What staff, as we de-intensify, lose their jobs? What money does not get spent in the local community? What taxes do not get paid Mm. to the government? I reckon I am. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and on the detail today, New Zealand farmers are about to become the first in the world to price their emissions at the farm gate, if the government agrees to it. The plan's called He Waka Ekenoa, and it is the sector's substitute for the emissions trading scheme. I'm at the Moss Farm to find out just how farmers are going to figure it all out. There we go. It looks like I'm going to town with my handbag, doesn't it? To a town girl, this farm doesn't look special, except that it is very neat and tidy, and Sharon gets the credit for that. But it is special because they've been so successful at cutting their emissions that George is now a climate change ambassador for Dairy NZ, helping other farmers do the same. Um, we're walking up the tanker track, we're walking past the implement sheds, we'll go past the farm dairy and we'll go to uh, the main herd of cows which is managed by my wife Sharon. OK, can you tell us a little bit about this farm, like how big it is, that kind of thing? OK, um, we're based just outside Tokoroa in, in the South Waikato here. We have uh, two dairy units, both of about 70 hectares each, one slightly bigger, one slightly smaller. And then we have a 40-hectare uh, dry stock unit of where we run some beef cattle and our dairy replacement heifers. So totals up around about 190 hectares. We do have about seven hectares leased out to a forestry nursery which is a yeah, totally separate entity. So the reason I'm here, George and Sharon, is because I want, a, a, I guess, a practical explanation of how you count your greenhouse gas and methane emissions and what Hewaka Ekenoa is going, what difference that is going to make to the way you run your farm. We actually use multiple ways of counting the greenhouse gas emissions. I look at the three systems that we use, and I'll come into more detail on that. The main tool that we use is um, Overseer, uh, which is an industry model, and it is quite detailed in the um, data that it collects. And is it a software model? It is a software okay. model. Yeah. It is online. Uh, you pay a subscription to it. And in there, you basically input all the, all the farm data. You input uh, livestock numbers on a monthly basis, the uh, fertiliser, because that can influence the environmental impacts of that. Any purchase feeds that have come into the operation. You also record uh, what feed has been harvested and when it's fed out and where it's fed out. You obviously record uh, replacement numbers that are kept on the farm. 
stock that are sold off farm and obviously in our case milk production that goes off farm. So those are the key inputs and outputs for overseer. It does two things. It looks at your, your climate and your soils and it gives you a best estimation of what your impact is. Initially it was set up around, primarily around nutrient losses, phosphorus and nitrogen. It has since evolved in the last probably five or six years into giving the best possible indication of what greenhouse gases are coming off your farm on a per hectare basis and a per animal basis. And it also looks at one of the key metrics for us is efficiency per kilogram of milk solids. Yeah. And can I just stop you there, George, because one of the things that springs to mind for me when you start talking about this is it's um, heavily reliant on the honesty of the farmer as well, isn't it? I mean, is there anything to stop um, someone from, you know, putting in a much lower figure of fertiliser, for example? Yes, there is a level of um, honesty required, but going forward, one of the things that will be required both in regional council plans and uh, under Hairwalk Ekanoa is that anything that puts in has to be verifiable. We use what is called proof of placement around fertiliser. That's run by third party that says this amount of fertiliser went there in this month. And there'll be a requirement on farmers to keep the source documents. I see. And there's an expectation that um, there will be audits done. So as it stands at the moment, the system that you're using, is this purely voluntary or are farmers already being required by the likes of Fonterra um, okay. to, to you know, submit... In excess of 90% of dairy farmers now, regardless of who they supply, will have their greenhouse gas footprint data. The challenge then is obviously to understand that data and understand what decisions you can make, what plans you can put in place to actually change that number over time and uh, reduce that number. Yes, cutting that number is top priority. But George reckons it's only part of the equation, and he'll explain more soon. But right now, we're surrounded by cows. So, Sharon, can I, can I pass the microphone over to Sharon? Um, here we are, standing in the middle of your a paddock. With, um, t- tell me about these cows. These cows. Uh, in this mob for wintering, there's 100 cows in this lot, and they're Frisians, they're black and whites. So, yeah. That's, that's it. So the objective right now, we're calving in quite a few, probably five, six weeks. And the objective right now is to just put a bit, bit more weight on them before they have their calves and then they start lactating again. So they're all in calf at the moment, they? are they? all in calf, yes. Right, yes. okay. And I've got one right here. It's very inquisitive. <laughs> It'll serve me right for bag. bringing my handbag <laughs> along. Um how are we going to explain with these cows how much they emit? Can you do that? We can explain, and I will show. We might just 
okay. out, out um, yeah. sheltering okay. a bit, Sharon, yeah. okay. so that... Um, the, the wind. Yeah, to, to shelter yeah, us the, 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 the best gauge estimation or accurate estimation to how much that each of these cows emit is to go back to oversee it. That probably generates that. And what they would do, it's largely what we call a back calculation. So they would say, how much milk did each cow produce? Uh, how much energy was required to produce that? And then they will say, well, this much came from purchase feed, whether it be maize silage, whether it be anything brought in. And then the remainder is what they must have eaten to produce that. And for every kilogram of feed, which we, rec- we call dry matter that goes down these cows' throat, on average they generate, I think it's 21.4 or 21.6 grams of methane. Per? Per kilogram of dry matter eaten. Is that on a daily basis, weekly, okay. on, annual? On a total basis, on total. an annual basis. These cows are probably eating somewhere between... 10, 11. Oh, kilos a day? Yep. Okay, so if they're eating 10 kilograms a day... Of? A gro- of grass, and they measure the grass, less the water that's in it. So that's why it's called dry matter. And for every kilogram of that, these cows will be emitting, on average, I think it's 21.4 or 21.6 six grams a day of methane you say that you could you could easily reduce it you know the emissions by if you ask to by 30 percent how would you do that the way we actually do that is fundamentally uh, either totally reduce the amount of feed that's available to the cows which will drive you to actually reducing cow numbers and you just you just de-intensify the whole operation, the challenge becomes is if we don't want to lose staff, if we want to maintain our communities, how do we still actually get those reductions? And that's why we've embarked on this journey probably starting about four years ago because we had the view that the way to crack this nut is to take a long time because of the complexities of it. There's a little... um, a lot of moving parts and some of the decisions in the short term may actually exasperate the problem as opposed to improve the problem so you're doing investing um, early on to get a long-term gain and the classic example of that is by rearing extra replacements to get herd improvement and so more heifers that we can choose from and select from and keep the the best from actually both on a cost basis because there's a higher cost to it and you get more animals on the ground in the short term which gives you a short-term inefficiency but you're looking for that long-term efficiency gain. Because you're looking for the, the best cows amongst them all. We're looking for, uh, and I brought a piece of paper with me, we're looking for over time to get cows that produce as much milk as possible in a feed-constrained environment. And the industry has done some, some work to show that those most efficient cows most likely have a lower methane and nitrogen footprint. And most I'll likely, yes. Mo- most likely, and the science has been done now, paid for by both farmers and, and the government where they are testing bulls with the... Um, 
they've got a sensor that actually measures the amount of methane that's been emitted and that work has been done on the next generation of bulls coming through. And then the work will, they will then test that for heritability. They will then also understand, are there some unforeseen consequences when you chase one metric? What happened four years ago that made you think, we've got to, we've got to change something? Okay. 20 years ago, I probably would have said human-induced climate change was a bunch of rubbish and so what? But you start following the science, you start watching the things happen and you move to that space. And quite clearly, the requirement to address climate change was going to become a global megatrend, and it has become a global megatrend. And then you start looking at thinking, okay, what is the footprint of our business? What are the challenges in our business? And how do we adapt it? And the the decision that both Sharon and I came to was we've got to play a long-term game. It's a lot easier to move a little bit each year than to suddenly find yourself with five, four or three years to go and then you have to make radical changes which have radical impacts on your business and potentially negative impacts. So we prefer to do an evolution rather than a revolution and I would contend that those who are delaying the decisions are potentially faced with a more revolutionary and traumatic type mm. approach. What were the first things that you started to do? The most powerful tool we've got in the toolbox at the moment is genetics and continually trying to strive for efficiency on farm. Every little thing that we do right through in terms of the vehicles we we purchase, the vehicles that we use, just those efficiency gains and then working out how can we actually start to quantify that and measure that. The starting point for us was, was Overseer, and then the dairy companies started to report this thing. And the, probably the thing that gave us some confidence when the number came out, 10% of methane in 10 years, if you break that down to a 10-year journey, it's 1% a year. And genetics alone historically have delivered us that. So the faster we can drive the genetics, the faster the gain. And we're using sex semen. We've got an absolute focus this year, particularly on one farm. How do we lift our reproductive performance so we get more of the top animals on the ground and also to minimise the wastage of the mature animals, which are your most efficient animals? How do you minimise the wastage of your mature animals? Okay, in simple terms, by keeping them alive and getting them in calf. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing dies on farm is probably the first one. And then after that, you go to your what are basically compulsory culls, the girls that have to leave the herd, one, because they're not in calf, or two, they have serious health issues like recurring mastitis. And so we have done things that intuitively we absolutely believe have reduced emissions, but the technology, as in Overseer and Fonterra and Farmax, are unable to measure the efficiency gains. We do use a proxy... Um, of emissions per kilogram of milk solids Mm. that shows that we are trending in the right direction and it also shows that we are significantly more efficient than the industry average by about 10 to 11%. So the mosses are ahead of the game and most other farms. But here's another surprise. We'll probably be paying for some emissions that we actually aren't producing 
aren't emitting. Be- because there isn't the precise um, there isn't the precise technology tool, tool to, to measure pick up them. the individual cow efficiency. Which kind of seems unfair. No, it's, it, I don't see it as unfair at all if we accept the notion that there is a problem with climate change and that we have all have a responsibility to, to do the best possible. It sounds to me, from what you're saying, that there's a heck of a lot of time spent on paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, yes, there is a heap of time spent on, on paperwork and as Sharon would verify that I have spent an inordinate amount of time in trying to understand this and getting myself educated on it, including doing greenhouse gas courses, environmental planning courses, reading everything that I can um, to actually understand this this space and, and learn from it. This is, this is probably a really dumb, towny question, but could you ever get to the point where you weren't using fertiliser and things like palm kernels that you brought from you know, off the farm, that it was totally, or they fed off everything on the farm and that was it. You can cut out all those things and again it comes down to what cost and what impact. We, we can cut out things and we did a organic farming for a six month trial between the two properties because we compare the two properties and we compare them around greenhouse gases which also gives an indication to the future. Mm. You can reduce or eliminate anything but it comes at a cost. Palm kernel, if we, we cut out palm kernel and the cows get hungry and we're faced with um, drought or a really tough um, winter, mm. it's then what do we substitute palm kernel with? What is the availability of that? And if that's not available, what is the impact on the cows? Uh, Fertiliser, inherently in any farming system, you're extracting nutrients. Uh, these soils, particularly these pumice soils, aren't naturally high in nutrients. We're extracting nutrients both in meat and milk. And if you do not replace that at some stage, your farming system will collapse. It will never eliminate our impact. So Hewaka Ekanoa has been put up as a recommendation from the agriculture sector as a substitute for the ETS. What does that mean for you, given that you are, you know, ahead of the curve? Okay, assuming it is accepted by the government is that we will pay a charge um, both on our methane and on our nitrous oxide and our, our carbon. And so we will pay some, some money over uh, to, to the scheme, and the scheme will invest that money both in research and incentivising farmers that, to do change. For us, we've been preparing for it in as much as been ensuring that we're as profitable as possible. And we will then make a decision, depending on the cost as to whether we look for further efficiencies, which is an ongoing thing, um, or whether we just end up paying the cost. I, I don't see us, uh, to be honest, making major change given where our understanding is, where we sit on the bell-shaped curve of performance currently. And what it's going to do, it is going to take out over time the inefficient methane, if you like, the methane that doesn't generate much in terms of economic activity. Um, so you, if you think that we're operating with a shrinking pool of methane, that is the requirement under the zero carbon bill, it is the methane that earns the least, least amount of money that will disappear over the next 10 years. Less than well, 10 I, years. See, that, oh, you've got me there. I, okay, I, what, what, how, methane that earns okay. the least amount okay. of money. Right, Help me here, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame her. <laughs> what do you, she just does you... her job. The agriculture sector 
has a requirement to reduce 10% of methane by 2030. Some of that is going to come almost naturally through land use change. We've seen dairy farms exit to beef. We've seen dairy farms exit to avocados and horticulture and also to townhouses. That is going to take a chunk of the the animals out out of the equation. Of the remaining methane that's left, which personal view I don't think it's much, uh, the way we'll achieve that is through more efficient animals. We may have some technology like 3NOP that we can uh, give the cows that will reduce the amount of methane that they um, burp. There's some science being done around seaweeds and there's a lot of other work being being done around, around that. Mm. So it's those tools and using all those tools that's in the toolbox plus the new ones coming it's going to get us to that um that that 10 percent yeah and you're happy with yes homegrown milk oh, yeah. <laughs> it's quite quite creamy <laughs> We're back in the Moss Kitchen now, looking at documents with graphs and tables, in a magazine that is essential reading for farmers. It's called the Genetics oh, Catalogue 2022 Dairy, produced by Livestock Improvement Corporation. What it is is various pictures of different breeds of livestock. It's got the, it's got the main dairying breeds, mm. and then within each each breed. It has got a hoof print for that particular bull. And so you see these ones here are deemed to be less efficient than, say, those ones there. Yeah. So yeah. it gives a farmer a indication as to which genetics are going to be more efficient, both in terms of um, methane efficiency and nitrate efficiency. Right. It and is the first part of a journey. I mean, I would say on a basic level, why wouldn't everyone just go for the one that's got the best-looking hoof print? Um, At a basic level, that is a real good question, but I do notice that not everybody drives Nissan Leafs. No. (laughs) There's a lot of other things that are are up for consideration. Yeah, like milking speed. Calving difficulty, gestation length, body condition score. Um, your survival rates, your somatic cell count, your fertility. Basically, you can't find the perfect bull. Never made a perfect one yet. Shouldn't say this is the same way of trying to find the perfect man, isn't it? As you said, that there's not the the technology to actually measure what the cows emit. Not on an individual Will cow basis. There's absolutely the potential to do that. We're seeing where some of the technology goes with cow collars and cow management. There is technology being trialled overseas which actually looks at mitigating the greenhouse gas as it comes out, as the cow actually burps it. It's a collar sits on the cow's nose and it does something with the gas as it comes out. There's lots of possibilities down the, down the track. The challenge is we need to act now and we need them now. And time is still our greatest ally. The sooner we start, the sooner we'll get on top of the problem. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benj and produced by Sarah Robson. And our associate producer is Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to George and Sharon Moss. Kakite anō.